0: Welcome everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is the Bread of Life. This radio ministry is sponsored by Church Partnership Evangelism and its local Missions Fellowship, the Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. We are working in multiple countries to further the gospel and we are available to you and your church. We will teach your people how to find their role in their communities as intercessors and then out of that role how to engage others in gentle and powerful dialogues in the gospel. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Now let's go to God's Word. We get 15 minutes of your time on the radio five times a week. We try to budget that time to maximize our communication with you. Sometimes, as a result, we clip out a long reading of the text and just move to the exposition of the biblical text. But I know, the Word of God is powerful, and when read, it is better than any exposition I could offer you. Listen today to the reading of the opening passage of Scripture and ask yourself honestly if Romans 7 verses 14-25 doesn't speak into your present experience. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now. If I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am! who will deliver me from this body of death. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Well, when a pastor is working on a sermon, he's always pleased and excited when it lays out before him in three succinct little points that he can make. Points that you can all remember, and then three points that he can find wonderful little illustrations, and that'll carry the communication process. There is a reason why individuals want to, at times, take up and preach on the book of Romans. There's wonderful truths in the book of Romans, but then again, if they start studying it and preparing for it, there are reasons why they might think they don't want to preach on the book of Romans. This passage here is one of those passages that might wake you to think, maybe I'll wait a few more years before I approach this text. I can tell you, though, that a few more years doesn't give you any added uh, wisdom or insight, really, in totally understanding this passage. And this is... Probably one of the most controversial passages in all of the Bible. There's a wider range of opinion on this, and it's not something that's just come lately. It's a controversy of understanding that goes all the way back to the early church. And you can tread that there were different views and ideas of what this passage meant. And so we're diving into something that has been, to some extent, debated over and reflected upon and tried to be understood through the ages I think, actually, it suffered from too much attention, in a sense. Because this is one of the passages that is actually one of the more famous passages. If you go to a seminary and you study, this is one of the passages you have to go and look at together. You all debate, and there are individuals and in different schools of thought that line up, and I think they've almost given too much thought to it. I think, oftentimes, the believer who's reading this passage the first time doesn't have as hard a time understanding as a theologian who's stretching over every point of it and trying to understand it. It makes some extent for the person who's looking at this. But we're going to look at it this morning, and we're going to try to understand it. And the first thing we need to know is kind of where we're at as we approach this text. And we remember that in our study so far of what Paul has written, that he's explained something of the impact of the law of God on the individual. And he's expressed to us that the law has no power to save an individual. Although men go to the law to somehow seek a pathway for salvation in it. The law has no power to then sanctify an individual. That's kind of where Paul has turned in Romans chapter 6. It doesn't have the power to sanctify the individual either. You have to go to another place in order to find a life of holiness. And so what Paul has told us is what the unredeemed person, the unsaved or the individual who has not been born again does when he approaches the moral laws of God and what is his instinctual interaction with the law of God. And what he says is that the unredeemed person approaches the law of God as a point at which he tries to transact with God. He tries to, before the law of God, purchase acceptance, gain some merit. Do something that God has to then reciprocate by giving him something. I'll prove that I'm a good person. I'll prove that I can earn and work my way to salvation. Whatever the deficit is in my life, the law will show me, the moral law will show me the place where I can make up the deficit and I can actually gain currency with God. So it's a place where they transact with God, yet it doesn't work. That's what Paul says. It doesn't work. He says that the law only proves that men are guilty, but it proves that men are not righteous. He actually says in Romans 3.10 that there is none righteous, no, not one. He says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You're not able to come to the law in that way. Now listen, because men pursue the law in that way, at the same time frustrated in that, they oftentimes throw in the towel. Oftentimes they don't even try. And then they just rebel against God and the law and they go the other direction. And so Paul also says in Romans 3 verse 12 that all have gone out of the way. All of them have turned from the way of God's law and God's commands. And that's what sin is. Sin is called trespassing and it's called missing the mark. That's what it means. They've turned away from those things and they've rebelled. So following the law in order to gain merit from God or rebelling against the law, because they're frustrated by it, ultimately the unsaved or unredeemed person is motivated in their actions. Whether they follow it or whether they rebel against it, they're motivated in their actions to somehow pay God his due, or then to deny God his due in frustration. But either way, what they're doing in their motivation is they're actually trying to distance themselves from God even when I'm trying to pay God his due. I'm trying to put the currency in my own pocket. I'm trying to say, I've done things, and God owes me things, and this makes me less dependent upon Him. I actually can indebt God to me in some way. Look how good I've been, God. You owe me this, or you owe me that. And then, that's creating distance. That's actually trying to empower yourself in the face of the all-powerful God. At the same time, in frustration, and because they feel the press of the law upon their conscience, and they realize that the law actually kind of rubs against their instinct to do their own thing, they then express themselves in rebellion. And that is simply doing the same thing. They're just in a different direction. They're still seeking their independence from God. They're motivated to distance themselves from God. Before the law of God, the unregenerate person has this mix stirred within them of both self-righteousness and sin. And that's what's coming to play. And that's the state that the law produces in the individual before they've been born again of the Spirit of Christ, before they've been saved. As a result, the law then brings them under condemnation. The law gives the sentence over them that they're guilty, reveals this to them. Paul has been making this argument all along. The law shows you that you're a rebel against God. The law shows that you just want to pursue your own self-righteousness, to indebt God, and it won't work because you fail at it. The law shows that your instinct, though, in spite of all that, is to do your own thing, and to rebel, and turn from him, and to walk out of the way. And here's the fact. None of you are righteous. You've all sinned, and you cannot justify yourself by the law. Instead, the law brings judgment upon your life. He's mounting up all these negative influences of the law, and their conclusion is that, Paul, you're saying that the law is a bad thing, that the law is a sin. And Paul's answer to that, Paul says to him, no, not at all. And this is what we considered last week. Paul says the law is holy, and the law is just, and the law is good. It's holy and just and good because the law of God reveals the nature and attributes of a holy and just and good God. It's built upon His own being, His own nature. Everything that God commands you is a fraction of who He is. He says you'll have no other gods before you because He's the supreme God, and you're supposed to have Him, Himself. He says make no graven images to worship because God is a spirit. And he wants you to worship in fearful awe before him in spirit and truth. He says you're not to take God's name in vain because God's name is holy. And his name is not used to be kind of currency that you put around to gain your own favor and your own influence. It's a name that you come and bow before and yield to. And he tells you to honor your father and mother because your father and mother are the first expressions of the providential care of God in your life. Be honored to them because of that tell us the truth because God is truth and you're not to commit murder because God is the God of life and you're not to covet because God is the sovereign one who dispenses to all as he sees fit he's given to you and given you a stewardship in your life and you're not to covet what other people have just to be faithful with the stewardship God has given you and on and on, these commands reflect who God is and so the law is good because it reflects a holy and just and good God but it's also good It's holy and just and good because it reveals what's not just and what's not holy and what's not good. And that is it reveals who we are. It shows who we are. As a result of all that, what Paul is teaching is that you don't want to go through life just figure out how to best live your relationship to the law. How to best identify what the laws and rules are for your life that you can fulfill Because that will lead you into that same kind of mindset in which you're gaining ground with God because you're a good person. And that will also frustrate you. And then in your frustration, you'll turn away from it. You don't want a relationship that starts with the law. You want a relationship that starts with the lawgiver. You want to have a relationship with Him. And believers, this is what you have. You've been united to Christ. You've been bound to Him. You're married to the lawgiver. And now, as you approach the law, it's just a place in which you celebrate the depth of the benefit and value and joy of being related to the one who sustains and supports and throughout all the expressions of what is good and true and right. Because it's flowing out of himself and you're bound to him, you have a relationship with him. So that's kind of where Paul ends. Paul is actually basically saying, look here. The problem here is not with the law. You think the law is bad because it's revealing all these bad things, but the problem is not with the law. The problem is in yourself. And there is a limitation in the law. There is something the law can't do. The law can't overcome your own weakness. The law can't overcome your own sin and your own instincts and sin. It can't change what you are of the substance you're made of. It can reveal to you what you are and what you're made of, but it can't change it. So the law is good, the law is right. But the law is powerless to change you. It can't change you where you are profoundly handicapped and limited. Listen, you can come to Christ for salvation because you realize you can't save yourself in the law, but the problem is then you go back to those old patterns and you try to make yourself right before God after that by just following the law. And The problem is the law will continue to expose your own failure, your own weakness, your own inabilities. Paul's gonna to continue to advance that argument. So here's the next thing. So this is where we're at now, we're at verse 14. We've come to the end of verse 13 and now we're at verse 14. And Paul is gonna to continue to make this point that the law actually is good in this sense, that it reveals to and it just shows you our own weakness, but also that the law has a limitation. It can't change that weakness. It can't make you. It can't change the substance of what you're made in. So Paul says this, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am, in verse 14, Romans chapter 7, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. What's Paul saying? Again, he's saying that the problem is not with the law. You'll have to wait till our next broadcast as we consider what Paul is getting at and its relevance for our lives. Thanks for joining us today at the Bread of Life. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you.